Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 86. So here it is on Monday, June, July, <laughs> July 20th. And I hope you had a nice weekend if you're listening on Monday. As I was saying last week, I really, really try to record all my new episodes on Monday so that they post Monday or Tuesday and you can kind of start out your week, maybe inspired by a little bit of new learning or just kind of keeping up with it. I have a couple podcasts I listen to and I like to schedule myself to spend a little time on my Mondays to invest in myself. Um, it just feels really good. Um, especially during this time where things are kind of disrupted in a lot of our schedules to, to spend, if not every day for a few minutes, at least once or twice a week doing something that's an investment in your learning, in your learning bank, in your continuing education. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be about yoga. You know, I have a lot of other interests, so I try to, you know, dive into some of those things too. Obviously, the most content I'm consuming is around movement, uh, movement-based science, exercise science, yoga teaching, yoga anatomy. Um, so that's really where most of my time is spent. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's why I like to do these things at the beginning of the week. And a lot of times, too, I will have uh, um, trainings that I do on the weekends and online, of course. And when I do these online trainings, so many good topics come up um, that I can use kind of as fuel, um, as topics for the podcast. And I wish all of you could be with me in these trainings. And short of that, what I try to do when I get together with you in the podcast here on Mondays is I, I love to share some of the themes that, that have come up for the teachers in the trainings because those themes I'm sure are themes that you are either facing right now, have faced, are going to face, and we can all learn from each other. So this is a really good time for me when these things are fresh in my mind to share them with you. So here are some of the takeaways that came from the, training, uh, the trainings that I did this weekend. So the first one is this, learning anatomy in a dynamic way 
will have a better outcome for you than studying by yourself. And I know, you know, there's something about kind of the mindset of yoga teachers that I've um, learned over, you know, the past number of years that I've been working for myself, developing my own business, of course, working in several different studios. Although a lot of what I do is as an entrepreneur, building different products, different programs to help teachers all over uh, access information about anatomy and learning anatomy. And as a result of doing that, I've talked to a lot of teachers and I talked to a lot of teachers about what are they doing now? And one of the things that I've come to learn about kind of the yoga teacher mindset is this, which is I can do it myself. I can figure it out. All I need to do is buy a bunch of books. All I need to do is do a little bit of research and I'm going to be able to figure this anatomy out. And so many times when I talk to teachers, um, you know, just in general about what they're doing, they've got a number of books, you know, I, and I hear a lot of the titles of these books. There's kind of like the top five that usually come up in my conversations with teachers. And at the same time, I'll hear from teachers things like, I'm confused, I'm going down a rabbit hole, I'm not quite sure how to apply this to my teaching. So I just want to, if this is you and you're out there trying to, you know, you did your 200 hour training, you came out of it and you're like, ah, oh, I don't really feel like I understand anatomy. I'm going to embark upon this journey on my own to learn anatomy. And if you're feeling like you're kind of, you know, in this rabbit hole and you can't get out, you're not alone. This is a lot of what I hear. And so I want to suggest to you that learning anatomy in a dynamic way is going to have a better outcome for you. And by dynamic way, I mean not with your nose in a book or alone in your house looking at YouTube late at night. Um, a dynamic way meaning via an online course, of course, if you could go to in-person training, you would do that. Or even just getting some coaching where you can talk to someone who understands what you don't understand and have some back and forth. Video is great. However, video is a flat medium, just like reading a book. It's better than a book because you can see and hear the person, you can watch their movements. Um, it's just not gonna get you to the next level. And really when I say the next level, for teachers what that means is, how can you apply it to teaching? And you know, unless the video is really targeted, if it's, unless it's content is really targeted to both, here's stuff you can learn, let me teach this to you, and here's how you can apply it. You're, you're gonna just kind of keep accumulating information with no way to really apply it. So the next thing is, um, that kind of came up from these trainings is learning anatomy in a conversational way will have better outcomes for you. Right. And by this, I mean, you know, back in the day when I was teaching anatomy live and in person, and I don't even mean, I mean, I've been teaching anatomy as part of my own course online for a number of years. However, until Corona, I was also doing things for other studios where, where they hire me to teach the anatomy part of their 200 hour training. And so back when I started doing that, which was over 10 years ago, I used to you know, go into a training and do a lot of like showing them the pictures of the muscles, going into all this detail about the origin of the muscle, the insertion of the muscle, what's the function of the muscle this way and that way, depending on what end of the body is fixed and all this stuff. 
And I would get so much anxiety before I would go into these trainings because it was so much information for me to present. And I knew it. However, I always kind of questioned when I was doing it, why, you know, why am I really giving them all this information? Is this really going to be helpful for them in the context of sharing anatomy as a yoga teacher? And over the years, as I got more familiar with the content, with the information, I, of course, developed, I mean, this, you've got this experience too for something you know well. You develop an ability to just talk about it. Right, so think of something right now that you know well that you had to learn. It could be anything from cooking to you know some athletic uh, skill, whatever it is. You used to have to think about that a lot, right? It's that you know uh, conscious incompetence, and then you got to a point where it was unconscious competence. You didn't have to think about doing it; you just did it. You didn't have to think about what to say when you talk about it. You just talk about it. And that ability to take something that's complicated and distill it into conversational, you know, talk is the hallmark of an effective yoga teacher because we are teaching human movement and we're teaching human movement to a bunch of people with different bodies. And we're using anatomy as part of what we're sharing. And anatomy by its base is a complicated subject. And so your ability to be able to just talk about it, and that's, of course, something you're going to develop over time. However, that um, learning it in a conversational way is really, really helpful. So how that will play out for you is if you're currently in a training right now or if you invested, like I have a woman I talked to recently who invested in an online 200-hour training, and she's like knee-deep in all of this minutia, and she's feeling like she's completely drowning, and she's not going to be at the end of it any closer to being able to really share anatomy. So if that's your experience right now, I would say that should be a red flag with regard to the program you're in. Now, it doesn't mean you bag out of it, right? There's always opportunity for us to learn from whatever we're doing keep up with it, and then just see, is there a way for you to take that information and talk about it, right? So one of the things that I do in my Blueprint Learning Program, which is my online program, uh, along with live coaching for teachers to, to teach them anatomy, is in one of the training videos in the course, I um, go through the muscles of the body by just looking at a skeleton. And I do that even before they go through the PowerPoint presentation with all the images, because I know that once they start looking at those pictures, they're going to get overwhelmed. And so then when I do the live coaching calls with them, we just talk about the muscles with the skeleton there. They're not looking at the PowerPoint. So again, this is an example of making the learning of anatomy dynamic. They're not just going through my course, they're looking and not just looking at videos in my anatomy manual. They're also getting on the Zoom calls with me, which are the coaching calls where it becomes much more dynamic. Whatever you are doing, look for ways that your program can support you in that way, or see if there's a way for you to get some supplemental coaching to supplement kind of the less dynamic learning you're doing and learning that's being presented to you in a very like detailed way without a way to teach you how to make this understandable, right? Because no one wants to come to your yoga class and hear you spout on and off about the origins and insertions of the rotator cuff muscles, right? They want to just know, hey, when I'm inside angle lunge, 
what the heck am I supposed to be doing? And what's the point of all this? So really, really, that is a hallmark in my mind of a powerful, effective, uh, empowered, confident teacher. It's not someone teaching from stuff in their head. It's someone teaching from the point of view of the student and what they need to know. And that teacher is communicating that information at an accessible level, at an understandable level. It doesn't mean they're dumbing it down. It doesn't mean they're diluting it. It means they know it because the way they learned it was it was presented to them in an effective way from a learning potential perspective. And so as a result, those teachers come out of those programs with a really high level in sharing it. So the other thing that came out is um, this last one as in learning anatomy in a practical way as in how can I apply this to teaching will have better outcomes for you. And so again, I've talked about this a little bit already so far um, in this part of, of the conversation we're having. Just keep in mind, you know, whatever you're doing, especially if you're starting to feel stuck, especially if you're starting to feel in your studying overwhelmed, take a step back from your book, from your video, from your online course, from your online 200 hour training, Take a step back and ask yourself, okay, I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. Why am I starting to feel overwhelmed? And what's the point of what I'm doing here? What's the point of what I'm learning here? How is it going to be applied to my teaching? Because remember, when we frame it in that way, usually what that means is we don't have to retain all of these details. Right? It means that we're looking for high-level movement-based themes that will inform the cues we give to help our students move on the mat in an effective way, in a way that takes into account their bodies, and doing it in a way that we're looking at them so we're not just talking in our heads or talking from stuff in our heads that's just like memorized, memorized. Right, because that's not customized at all. That's just, I could just play a recording. I don't even need you to teach me that kind of class. I can just play a recording and that's all, and that's all the students are gonna get. They're taking your class online or taking your class in person because they want a living, breathing person who can adapt and change depending on what they're doing. However, if you've learned anatomy in this kind of flat way, you're not going to be able to do that. And you're going to see somebody doing something different. You're going to be like in your head, oh my God, what am I supposed to say? I didn't, I don't really know how to help that person because it's been presented to you and just uh, do this, do that. Here's the data uh, kind of way. So I'll just go over those takeaways. Learning anatomy in a dynamic way will have better outcomes for you than studying by yourself. Learning anatomy in a conversational way will have better outcomes for you. And then learning anatomy in a practical way, as in how can I apply this to teaching, will have better outcomes for you. Now, I wanna go over one more thing before I get into today's content, which is to say that one of the comments that came up in the training this weekend was from, I always like to take kind of a checkpoint, do like a checkpoint with the, with the teachers before we end the session. Sometimes I even do it before the session. And so I ended the session and I said, okay, and I, I always do this, I try to always do this. Um, how's everybody feeling? And somebody said, it is a lot to learn. You know, kind of like with that knowing voice, like that I'm speaking for a lot of people here. And maybe that person wasn't 
implying that, but it was just kind of like, I'm stating the obvious. It is a lot to learn. And I know that feeling, right? I, I used to have that feeling about anatomy, even from back when I was studying it as an undergrad. Um, it is a lot to learn. However, there is an opportunity for us to reframe those kinds of statements rather than staying in the heaviness of that kind of statement and letting, up, letting it become a barrier for us to the success that we desire around whatever it is. So here I'm talking about learning anatomy. You can apply this reframing technique to anything in your life where you're using those kind of like common sense statements like, well, you know, yeah, it does really stink that that person lost their job. Or, well, you know, yeah, it does really stink that la, 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 right? So let's try to reframe that a little bit. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples, see what you think. So the first statement you might say, or you might have heard, or you might hear in the future, anatomy is really tough for me to learn. I wasn't ever really good at science. So you might, that might resonate with you. You might have said that. You might hear somebody say that. So we're going to shift that. We're going to reframe that to, with the right tools for me, I can learn anatomy and apply and how to apply it to my teaching. Or, and this is really my favorite one, let me see if a different tool would help me learn more. I mean, honest, I talk to teachers and they've been like banging their heads up against the wall using a particular book that the teacher training recommended for them for like three months. And they're talking to me three months in and they're like, I just don't get this. Well, guess what? Maybe that book isn't a good book. <laughs> Just because the teacher training recommended it for you doesn't mean it's the only resource about this topic. Now I get it. You're invested in a you've invested in a teacher training program. They're going to prescribe for you the books that you need to use that go with the training. You're going to do homework assignments based on those books. Yes, yes, yes. Again, I am not trashing anybody's book. Do not hear that. I am simply saying because I know from kind of a brain science perspective, and you know this too, right? This is not just me uh, trying to impress you with my science knowledge. Everybody learns differently, right? Come on, everybody learns differently. So if you're using a particular book that you have to use, guess what? You're gonna have to go through it and you're gonna have to figure it out in order to meet the requirements of that program. However, nothing is out there saying you can't supplement that. So please, 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 if that's your experience, go out there and find something to supplement it. Here's another one. I've got so much going on right now, I don't have time to learn anatomy. I'll just go with what I know and what I hear from other teachers. And we're going to reframe that and we're going to say, you know what, let me think about the value I'll get and my students will get from me learning more anatomy and ways to share it with them. Once I think of that, it helps me see what a priority it is for me to learn it. This helps me shift other things off my schedule that aren't really a priority. Come on, right? So I can replace those things like being on social media, watching television with studying time. Now, I, I already can imagine some of you are, especially now, you're home with kids, they have no schedule, now it's the summer, of course, but back before when they were out of school, your life is full. You're trying to run your business, which now is impacted because of COVID, you got the kids around, I get it, I am not. I am definitely not, you know, here I am kind of standing in my apartment doing this podcast, anticipating 
how you might be reacting. I am not saying I know your personal life story. And you may sit down and you may decide, I have no time to devote to, to learning anatomy right now. And I'm not on TV and I'm not looking at social media. So Karen, you need to just back it down, <laughs> right? So, hey, I get it, it's fine. So this is not the right time. That's a decision you're making. That's a decision you're making that's not the right time. There's no, there's no way in your schedule you can fit in 15, 20 minutes a day. Now, 15, 20 minutes a day, and maybe an hour tops a week, it'll take you a while. However, you're still doing it, right? Versus saying, I have absolutely no time to do it. So I think you get what I'm saying there. All right, so here's the last one. I always feel like when I study anatomy, I end up down a rabbit hole and more confused than ever. And we're gonna reframe that to be, I'm gonna define exactly what I need to learn. And I'm gonna stick just with those topics for my studying versus being sidetracked by every cool article I see on social media or being sidetracked because I see a post from a quote expert that brings up a certain topic. I know what I need to learn and I'm gonna to stick to learning those things. Now, you know, part of the reason why I said that is because I have a really good baseline understanding of anatomy and I see articles and I know people who are really into stuff about anatomy and biomechanics and exercise science and I go to those webinars and I click those articles and I do get information that is in my brain, although I don't really get to use it all that often because again, it is way down the rabbit hole and not super applicable to how I present anatomy. However, I wanna know that stuff. And I have the time to do it now because I've got a really good command of the foundational pieces of anatomy. And that's what I teach. If you're out there and you don't have a good understanding of the foundational pieces of anatomy, don't go down those rabbit holes. Don't click those links. Don't go to those webinars. Don't buy those trainings because your job right now is not to go down the cool rabbit holes about whatever it is, you know, uh, muscle fiber structure and the energy exchange at the level of, you know, a muscle contraction and the, the, the junction of the, of the fibers at the uh, level of the striated fibers and all, you know, all these kind of like cool words. You're like, oh, that's a really cool article or a webinar. I need to go to that. No, <laughs> your job is to, um, is to rein it in. And I'll tell you, one of the challenges I know that you're probably going to have is you're going to say to me, all right, great, Karen, I'll buy into that approach, but I don't know what the foundational pieces of anatomy are that I should be learning. And I'll tell you, I feel you. And, and short of just telling you what those pieces are, <laughs> I'm going to acknowledge, number one, that is a problem. I'm going to acknowledge, number two, that it's a problem in the industry that teachers are not all taught anatomy in a systematic way, you know, depending on who is teaching your anatomy, that's the foundational pieces you're getting. All I'm going to tell you is I have the foundational pieces that I know work for teachers in my program to help them learn anatomy. And it started out by me doing all these in-person trainings and writing my own anatomy manual. And the anatomy manual basically had chapters which describe those pieces, right? Those pieces. 
And so from that manual and those foundational chunks that were described that I wrote about in my anatomy manual, I created the blueprint learning program. And from the blueprint learning program, which is the course, which kind of brings the manual to life with video, I then added the, added the coaching calls because again, everybody learns differently. And who the hell wants to do a course on yoga anatomy? Nobody. They want to learn in a dynamic way. Right. Some of the teachers from the training on Saturday wrote me emails after that was so fun. That was so fun to learn those muscles. I promise you friends, no one said my trainings were fun back when I was doing them in person and droning on and on about, okay, so the latissimus dorsi has an origin at the thoracolumbar fascia and runs up, you know, that's not verbiage that's going to help them. Somewhere down the line, once they know the foundational pieces, someone's going to come to them and they're going to say, man, you know, I really, I have some discomfort in my lats and I'm not quite sure where it is. And that's the point where that teacher is going to go and do a little more digging to refresh their memory on the exact origin and insertion of the latissimus dorsi. Not right out of the gate. Not right out of the gate. So, um, so again, these, these reframes are just opportunities for you to shift your way of thinking, shift your beliefs about the limitations you have and put you in the driver's seat, put you at cause to take on this subject that I'm sorry, you have to learn it. You can't teach anatomy. I mean, you can't teach yoga and not understand anatomy. Even if you're teaching from the chakras, even if you're teaching from energy centers, you know, it's just part of what you have to, you have to learn. Now, and I don't even like to say it that way, have to, because have to, you don't have to do anything, right? Sure, don't learn it. Go out there and teach anatomy. It's your choice. Okay, so we're gonna get into the topic uh, for today. So the, the title of this podcast is There's No Such Thing as a Bad Cue. <laughs> you might be like, really? I read a bunch of articles that said there were bad cues. In fact, they had a list. So we'll get to that. I want to let you know that in the coming weeks, I've got two free workshops. On July 24th, I have a mentorship info session where I'm going to walk you through a super cool exercise that I'm sure you've never done before. That is what I'm calling a teacher exploration exercise. And it has to do with kind of asking you a bunch of self-inquiry questions to help you tap into what is the path that you're on as a teacher. And are you on a path? Are you just kind of like a cork in the ocean? What do you want to do as a teacher? And are you creating a path to get you where you want to go? So this is going to be a fun workshop. And um, that's on 724 at, um, at 1 p.m. Eastern. And then on 728, I'm doing a free workshop where I'm going to be breaking down yoga poses into their discrete parts using my own template. And this is actually the basis for my anatomy manual. For every pose in the anatomy manual, I break it down with a particular template list of criteria. And I'm going to be doing that in this workshop to give you some examples. And that's the 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Now to sign up for these, just DM me on Instagram, email me, Karen at barebonesyoga.com, or see my Facebook page or my Facebook group on anatomy. And you'll see a bunch of posts over the next week and a half for you to join both of these. So have you ever seen, when I was just talking a second ago, have you ever seen an article that starts out with the title, 10 cues I would never use? 
And honestly, God, I did not Google for this name, but I know though over the years of being on the Facebooks that I've seen articles with titles like these. Um, 10 views I would never use or something like that. Now, I know you have an urge to click that article, right? <laughs> and you know that that's why the publisher titled it that way, right? I mean, I actually used to write for a couple of pretty well-known outlets back in the day when I was blogging like three times a week before I had a lot of YouTube videos and stuff like blogging was the thing before the podcasting was the thing and YouTube and video online learning and stuff. And when I would write for, for these, you know, they found me because of my blog and then they would say, Hey, would you like to write for us? And I would write articles based on topics that they gave me, or sometimes I would even come up with the topics myself and then they would change. They'd edit the title a little bit or my favorite, they would pick some photograph of some female Yogi, like in a forward fold with the tiniest, tiniest shorts possible. And I would write them and I would say, what are you doing? I don't want that picture with my content. That's not what I'm writing about. It doesn't even, first of all, match the content. Um, or I'd say, why'd you change the title of my article to that clickbait kind of title? I mean, this is what is, of course, driving views, right? To have, to have um, titles like that. Um, and, and I know, I mean, I get it. You probably, you probably clicked on them. So what about when you were in your 200 hour training and you were maybe told a few things that you should never cue. How did that make you feel? Like, did it make you feel that some movements were inherently bad for the body? Like that there was a right way and a wrong way to cue? Because that's what we're gonna talk about today. Now you may say, oh God, you know, why, why does this matter? Why do I need to care about this? Well, this matters that we discuss this because when we develop an industry of teachers who think that certain movements are bad or wrong at their face, like face value, what comes along with it are a number of assumptions about bodies, anatomy, and movement. Namely that some bodies are better than others, some bodies can quote unquote do certain things while others can't, some movements are wrong no matter what context they're occurring in, or the converse, namely some movements are wrong, but only in the practice of yoga, that if we cue the wrong way, people will hurt themselves. And if I don't provide a whole bunch of options for people, they will hurt themselves. And my favorite one, yoga taught in a particular way with certain cues is going to result in people getting hurt. So none of this makes sense to me, and that's why I wanted to talk about it further today on the podcast. So I want you to think about this, this framework where there's no right or wrong, and it's not a binary choice in terms of the cues we use. That context matters. Context matters. Meaning... Who is in class? What are they doing? How are they responding to the cues you are sharing? And what's the intention behind what you're teaching? Right, and there's probably 10 other things I can throw in there that address context. Those are just kind of the ones I could think of in the heat of the moment. So again, when we're talking about cues, this thing is wrong, this thing is right, it's very, it's a very simplistic way 
to look at something as complex <laughs> as human movement. Now, even though you probably take for granted when you're walking around and running and practicing yoga, I can guarantee you, and it kind of relates to what we were just talking about at length, when you start to break down what the hell's going on there, it gets pretty complicated, right? That's the study of anatomy. So to then say, I can take something that's complicated and just make a bunch of rules, no, no, just doesn't work. There's also the big factor of degree, meaning for every cue we share, while teaching shapes and dynamic movement, there is a range of motion that the student will exhibit. The issue of a wrong cue usually comes from a teacher who neglects to take into consideration this factor, this factor of range, and simply makes a blanket statement like, you know, I'll give you an example. Never say tuck your tailbone when people are in chair because it's gonna to create too much posterior tilt to the pelvis. Well, degree matters because how much of any action that the student does impacts its effect on the body in terms of whatever the negative thing is that the teacher is concerned about, right? So let me give you an example. And this is like one of my favorite ones to talk about because it is one of the cues that gets kind of misrepresented so much. And it's cues to the shoulder blades, the scapula, in postures like warrior one and down dog when the shoulders are in flexion. I'm not going to go into like the whole anatomy of it. I have YouTube videos on it if you want to see them. Um, the basic gist is when the shoulder joint moves into flexion, the scapula need to move into upward rotation in order to allow the head of the humerus to clear the acromion of the scapula. So if all of that sounds like wah, 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 <laughs> I feel you, right? It's a lot. Um, however, it's definitely something that's happening in the body without you thinking about it when you reach your arms up to the sky in warrior one. Um, and, and again, if it is something that is not, you're not familiar with, it's something that's worth going out there and learning about. Um, to, to find out the story there. So, so the cue that becomes problematic because the natural rhythm of the body is to upwardly rotate the scapula when the shoulders are in flexion is if you say to people in warrior one, drop your shoulder blades. Because what most people will do when they hear a cue like drop is they'll drop them. And if you're reaching up to the sky in warrior one, and you then hear drop your shoulder blades, you'll most likely create the action, the anatomical action of scapula depress depression, and you'll push your scapula down your back. And as a result, you'll create a disruption of sorts between the head of the humerus and the glenoid fossa of the scapula, and you'll impact that joint articulation which isn't so much of an issue in warrior one, but it's much more of an issue in down dog where you're weight bearing on your arms. So the, the cue or the um, admonition to yoga teachers to never say drop your shoulder blades when people are in shoulder flexion is the never approach, right? Is to just teach teachers anatomy from this kind of robotic, say this, not that perspective, which I totally 
don't subscribe to. Because again, what are we losing when we teach in this way of nevers and don'ts? We lose what I was saying earlier, the big factor of degree and taking that into account. Because even for someone like me who considers this particular cue, one of the ones on the, if I could have a list of kind of sort of maybe never say this, <laughs> this one would be on my list. I don't have that list, but I'm just saying. It's really kind of more clearly than not one of those things you don't wanna say. But I don't say that anymore because I live in the real world where I acknowledge there's real bodies with a whole bunch of variation in them. And once I put all those real bodies in my yoga class, there's a whole bunch of differences happening, different things. So the point is, if I see someone reaching up to the sky and they have excessive scapular elevation, I, it's helpful for me to address that, right? If the degree... Think of something like hyperextension. If the degree of action on the part of a student is excessive, even though the cue to drop is going to create that disruption of the articulation in the shoulder joint between the humerus and the scapula, I could probably say something else. And in fact, I should because the person's lifting their scapula up a ton. So I'm probably gonna say something like, relax your shoulder blades slightly. Right, so by shifting the kind of cue I give, it acknowledges that factor of degree and takes that cue off the list of never say and puts it in the real world of stuff we say that then might need to be altered a bit for different people because again, fun fact, everybody's different. Everybody practices different, everybody hears stuff different, everybody's, everybody's learning cues differently. There's all these teachers out there saying cues differently. So that's, that's my little blurb about that one. Um, so this whole idea, when, we're, when we aren't in this rigid mindset of right, wrong, binary way of teaching, we allow for human movement to occur as it does in real life with lots of variation. So I'm going to give you another couple of examples before we wrap up. So more examples, never let the knee go past the healing warrior one. I mean, oh my God, if that isn't like one that I heard on day one of teacher training. Now, so does that mean that never in any pose you shouldn't have the knee go past the heel? Because what about when I'm doing a squat? <laughs> because when I'm doing a squat, my knees sometimes go past my heel. Now, if my knee goes past my heel, does that mean, you know, it's like really potentially injurious to the knee and why? Is it a matter of degree? Is it a matter of the position of my hip in relation to my knee, the position of my knee in relation to my foot? Like you can start to see, even if I don't go into all of this from a biomechanical and an anatomical standpoint, you can see that just saying never doesn't give the teacher anything to really work with other than just this rigid, statement that the teacher's going to then go off and say that just generates a whole bunch of fear on the part of both the teacher and the student. Another one that I love is never say squeeze your glutes because it's going to create lower back issues. So this is kind of a funny one because I don't actually even know where this comes from, but it's come up to me in trainings I've done. That's why I uh, have added it on the list. It potentially maybe 
has its origin in the concern. Well, when I think about the gluteus maximus, right? So the glutes is just kind of a lazy way to refer to them. You've got glute maximus, glute medius, and glute minimus. The medius and minimus are on the lateral aspect of the hip, so they don't really have anything to do with hip extension for the most part. Uh, posterior fibers of glute medius do a little bit of hip extension, but more external rotation. So what we're really talking about, the prime mover here is, um, is glute max, because the, the pose that this comes up for, for the most part is bridge, not stuff like crescent lunge for that hip that's an extension. So just to kind of give you that context as well. Um, so if I look at gluteus maximus in the body, it does affect the lower back in that the origin of glute max is the posterior part of the spine, lumbar spine to a certain extent, more on the pelvis than the spine per se. Uh, so I guess you could say lower back, pelvis. Okay, fine. I'm in that region of the body. The point is, I don't really know why people have a concern about this one. Um, and when you think about coming into bridge, what is the action you're doing anatomically? You're doing hip extension. Just by the nature of what the pose is, you're asking people to come into bridge, that is hip extension. So the glutes are, the glute max muscle is contracting anyway, just because you're doing the pose. Now, if I additionally contract glute max by cueing them to squeeze around their sitting bones, um, the additional contractibility of those muscle fibers, I don't see the relationship between creating more muscle action and creating pain, certainly not at the level of providing a global cue to a group of people. Now, does that mean there might not be some people in my class who might feel some discomfort? No. Does it mean that it, they feel discomfort because there's something inherent in the cue? No, it means there's something going on in their body that is creating that pain uh, perception and you need to explore that with that person. So that's my thought on that one. And then what about, these are other kind of rules that are out there. Always add the name of the pose to your cues. Always cue students to breathe. I mean, when I work with teachers like a year after their 200 hour training, um, and I work with them in my program where we do some one-on-one -on -one coaching around practice teaching, like they're teaching me. I'm always amazed at how much real estate is taken up or how much time is taken up in their cueing by cues to breathe. Like, think about it. Number one, your students are gonna be breathing. Yes, I know there's all that verbiage around. If you're holding your breath, let, you know, please breathe. It's gonna create stress. I get that. Yes, I get it. Sometimes, students have a reflex to hold their breath as a function of, you know, even when you go to the gym, sometimes people hold their breath when they're lifting a weight that's too heavy. Generally speaking though, people are gonna breathe. So that's number one. Number two, again, this is just my opinion. Number two, if I have limited time to tell people what to do to move around on the mat, I'd rather use that time to tell them stuff to do that's more action oriented that they're not going to know to do unless I tell them versus telling them stuff to do that their body is just reflexively going to have them do like breathing. So the way this plays out in real life is I'm doing these practice sessions with teachers and it's just nonstop step forward, breathe in, step blah, 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 breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And you can feel that the teacher is getting so hung up on the breathing cues that it completely interferes 
with the smooth presentation of the cues. And it also interferes with a natural presentation of, a cue, of the cues. It also interferes with the ability for the teacher to teach in a, in a present way and instead has the teacher teaching in a way that's completely on script. And when you're going into a yoga class and you're teaching on script, you are completely cutting yourself off from the people in front of you. You're not there for them. You might as well, again, just put the damn tape on. You're there with the script in your head. And I get it, that's oftentimes how you're trained. And I get it, as a new teacher, you need your script, you need your notebook, or at least you think you do. Um, and that is something that will shift over time. So please, please, please don't take this to mean that you're doing something wrong. I just want you to maybe open the window of possibility to the idea that as you progress in your teaching journey, you're going to let that approach go. That that approach isn't the approach. That approach is a stepping stone approach. And that ultimately what is, is wonderful to work towards, what can be so empowering and, and, and allow you to tap into joyful teaching is if you work towards letting go of the script and teaching to what is happening in front of you, teaching to the people that are there, saying things coming from a place of what they need to hear, not what you were taught to say totally different way to teach. Um, and remember, you know, I've been doing a lot of studying on neuro-linguistic programming, which is a fascinating topic. And there's so much that you can apply to your life and your yoga uh, kind of teaching and journey. Whenever, from an NLP perspective, whenever we hear words like never and always, words like I'm stuck, but more here, like things like never, always, have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do that, I, you know, it's always a red flag. It's a, it's a sign that there's a limiting belief somewhere that's creating that verbiage from that person. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna um, challenge you here. For the next seven days, I want you, or I suggest, if you wanna learn more about this, I suggest you watch your languaging around the use of those terms. I wanna see if you can start to identify, um, or I don't wanna see it, I would suggest you might wanna see it. Um, if you can start to identify how many times you use words like that in a week. I have to go to the bank, I have to do this. Oh, I always feel this way. All those kinds of things. See how many times those come up for you. Um, now, let me just take a look back here. I kind of lost track here, I did a little sidebar. So on the one hand, I get it on some level, right? So maybe this approach is an attempt to guide new teachers, like I was saying before, if you're a newer teacher. However, think about all the negative effects it has. You know, when we're teaching teachers from this perspective of never say this, never say that, it creates this sense of fear and a sense that there's a right and wrong, rather than teaching teachers the anatomy and helping them learn a process to apply to real bodies. So for instance, when I uh, did that work, I did a free workshop a couple weeks ago, and it was based on this free training, video training I put out on a system I created for understanding the why behind the cue. And I also have an ebook on it on Amazon if you wanna check this out. 
And the reason I created it as a system is because I wanted to show teachers how they could come up with an informed rationale for the cues they use. I didn't want to do a training and just have it be another one of those presentations like here's stuff to say and here's stuff to not say because I know that that's not realistic as I've been saying on and on on this episode. So instead I created a system to empower teachers to come up with their own intelligent rationale. And when I did the free training, sometimes teachers would say, well, do you mean there's not a right or a wrong? And see, this is where I'm starting to poke holes in, in an attachment to that approach. And I get it. When you're a new teacher, you kind of sort of want somebody to tell you what to say. However, sorry, <laughs> guess what? I would much rather train teachers to understand anatomy in a way that they can come up with an informed approach in terms of how they present it. They can come up with an intelligent rationale. And in my view, that's more realistic because it takes into account, again, reality of how bodies move. And also one last thing before we wrap it up, keep in mind the factors that impact movement. So you've got things like conditioning of the person, muscle compensations they've developed, how aware they are of their body, their sense of proprioception, how practiced they are. And I don't mean that from an experience level, just like the perspective of do they know what they're doing on the mat, any injuries they're working with. And the big one, are you sharing cues in a way that they can understand? And are you changing your cues based upon what you see is happening? So in closing, I want to just give you a couple of suggestions. I don't want to leave you completely hanging here. So in closing, do some self-assessment to see what beliefs you hold around anatomy and test them out by looking for other times those movements are okay. And if you have some examples, email me and we'll talk about them. Keep in mind that a limiting way to learn anatomy is by teaching you do's and don'ts. An expansive, more realistic way is to teach you the fundamentals and give you templates, blueprints, and systems to help you learn and apply it to your teaching. So we've reached the end of the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. If you have a moment, write a review, put it on the, um, the iTunes there. And I want to just let you know, my practice portal has been up and running for about six weeks now. And I've made a bunch of classes on there free, including some meditations and MFR sequence. So if you go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, you're going to see the link to join the practice portal. And you don't even need to like, quote unquote, pay join. It's only $9.99 a month. You can though, before you decide to join, take some of the free classes that are on there and, um, and see what you think. So right on my website, the Barebones Yoga Practice Portal, it's my new monthly membership, all designed to support you as you practice at home, you wanna meditate at home, I'm gonna be doing some workshops next month. Um, so there's gonna be a lot of cool stuff happening there. So I wanna thank you so, so much for your time today. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the next episode. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, 
barebonesyoga.com and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.